and you're dismissed to go down to your time of study. Well, again, welcome everyone. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. We are in a series called um, A Heart of Giving. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And one of the things we want to get a hold of is that our God is a giving God. Our God gave his only son so that we could have life. God has given of the riches of his glorious uh, inheritance and power to those who, of us who believe. God is a giving God. As a result, we're to be like our God, like our brother Jesus, we were to, our Lord, we're to be a giving people. It says in, what happened, Griff? We were so, I heard, it worked Wednesday night, I got nothing today. I'm going to keep pushing the button, pretending that it's working. Griff is doing that. I, I would like to think I'm doing it, but I think he's doing it. Here, run this up to them and see if they can figure out. I'm such a control freak. I want the clicker to work. <laughs> Go back to that passage, Griff, that 2 Corinthians 9, 7 passage. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God what? You know, it's too often we focus on the giving part. God loves a giver. You know, like he loves you because you give kind of thing. But that's not the idea. God loves a cheerful giver because he understands, he knows that when we give cheerfully, we're giving out of a heart of thanksgiving, a heart of worship, not reluctantly or guiltily or legalistically. We're giving because we understand the process that's here. That's the first week. Second week, we talked about giving away our words. Uh, in James 3, 2, it says, If anyone can control his tongue or her tongue, it proves he has perfect control over himself. And another version says, If people never said anything wrong, they would be what? Perfect. We give away words. One of the most important things we give away is not just our money or our resources, but our words. In the tongue, there's the power of life and death. Any hope? We'll try it. We are you a, have control. We now. are a well praise God. We are a well-oiled machine here. Um, in the in the tongue, there's the power of life and death. And so we want to we want to give away words that give life, right? And not death. Too often Christianity is portrayed as a faith of guilt and condemnation and beating people up. That's not who we are. We get, we get to give away the gospel, the good news. In news, there is communication. So give away our words. I'm not going to preach that sermon again, but it was, it was good. And then uh, Galatians um, talks about, oh, I've skipped the vision passage. Last week, we talked about giving away the vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. That God has given us a vision of who we are as a church and who is we are as a people, we're to give it away. We're to give away the truth that we are his ambassadors. He's making his appeal through us. We have a vision 
for making disciples. That's what we're to be, and we're to give away that vision. So it's not just our money. When we talk about giving, I hope you're getting the idea, it's not just our money that we're giving away. It, it is resources, and we'll get back to that next week. I'll close with giving of resources again because we are a materialistic society, the most materialistic people who've ever lived probably on the planet in the history of the world. That's us. Congratulations. So we need to talk about that uh, possessing is not living. You can just write that down as a preview of next week. Possessing is not living. That there's more to life than this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not, what? Give up. Don't give up. Keep giving. Keep living. Keep exalting the Lord. Today I want to talk about giving away our actions. Now there's this combination of words and vision and actions, and sometimes people get a vision of what they're going to do, but it doesn't exactly come across. Sometimes people have the wrong vision combined with the wrong action, which leads to disaster. I want to show you a video of that uh, this morning. These are, um, this is, was released by the Shanghai police about two weeks ago. This is of two thieves. Now you'll notice what they're going to do is they're going to throw a brick through a window. That is the vision of what they would like to accomplish to then commit thievery. Uh, so here we go. There is some sound to this somewhere. Okay, we're going to watch it again. I love this. <laughs> Back it up, Griff. We're going to watch it. Okay, I got it. Notice that their, their, their mission has gone from we're going to break the window, we're going to thieve, and now the mission is I've got to carry this dude away. The one guy I knocked out. This is great. Watch it again. Brick one. Brick two. I'm going to let you come up and see what I see when I show these videos, because this is great. Men love these videos. Men are like, oh, that's great. Look at that. Women are like, they don't want to see the guy get hit by the brick again. That has nothing to do with the sermon. but Our actions uh, will make a difference. And one of the great passages that talks about our actions or our deeds is found in um, the book of James. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Again, this is not if you love me or to get my love, then do what I command. He's saying, out of relationship, if you love me, you'll do what I command. And then James chapter 2, which many people have struggled with over the years who have received faith and grace, this passage that talks about our works. Let me read it to you, and then we're going to just dissect it a little bit. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. 
If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friends. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Let me tell you, that is a struggling passage right there. Um, but keep reading. We'll, we'll come back to it. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. <clears throat> very challenging passage uh, that I want to look at in the context of all of Scripture to, to, to combine this truth that it is faith that then leads to action. Faith that leads to action. It's not action that actually leads to faith, which is what religious work will tell you, that to get faith you have to do more action, but, but rather this. When we are changed in God's presence by faith, we receive the Lordship of Jesus Christ Faith is a gift, comes by grace, not by works, not by deeds, so that we don't boast. But then, Paul says, you are God's workmanship created in advance to do good works. So you can't, it, it is not an either or, they are two sides of the exact same coin, faith and works. But I want to look this morning focusing on how do we give away our, our acts? How do we give away what we do? And here's the first point. A lack of action can be, can be a lack of faith. Looking at this passage from James, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? In the same way, faith by itself, it is, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Many people say that they believe in Jesus, but then their actions don't seem to reflect what their lips say. <laughs> Here's why I, I, I really want to hammer this just for a moment this morning. We, we, live in a, we live in a society. We live in a place where we believe that what you believe is the most important. In other words, what you think in your head is what matters. Mental assent is everything in American society. And we want, the, we want the right to believe whatever we want to believe because that's what's most important. But James is saying, look, it is not just mental assent. That's not what faith is. Faith is a gift from God that changes who we are and results in a change in the way we act. And if we're not following after what we're saying, then what James is saying, what we believe is not what we really believe. 
I, I've said this many times before, I, I believe you act upon what you believe to be true. You, you, the way you act in life is based on what you really believe to be true. I could give many illustrations, but since we're talking about giving and fear and faith, let, let me just get to that for a second. Many people will say, you know what, I believe that uh, I should give to the church that I go to be a part of. And I, I believe that many people want to give. I, I have this optimistic view of humanity and people at fullness to say, I, I, I want to give to the work of God. I believe it's the right thing to give. I, I know I'm hammering this a little hard. But the, but the problem, it, it's reflected in, well, do you actually give to the work of God? And if not, why? One of the reasons could be, I mean, there are a number of reasons, but one of the reasons could be I don't give because ultimately I don't have enough faith to give. In other words, I look at this money that I'm giving to the church, and then I look at my bills, and I look at situations around me, and what I say is I can't give because I am not sure if God will provide enough to cover if I do this. Now, I, I'm, I'm not asking, I'm not talking about being stupid here. Please don't take it to the extreme. I'm talking about just, does God really mean what he says in passages like Malachi, where he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house? Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, Listen, I know it's an Old Testament passage, and I know the context and everything else, but there are other New Testament passages that go along with this same idea that say, give, and it will be given to you. Bless, and God will pour out a blessing. Now, I, I'm not a prosperity doctrine preacher. Um, we take it to the extreme at times. But what I'm saying is this. Many times the honest truth is we don't give because we don't have enough faith that God's going to provide if I do. I, I, that's the bottom line. Uh, a lot of times we don't give financially to the church because we've dug a hole for ourselves by overspending what we didn't have, getting in debt. Now we're looking at our debt and we're looking at what we I, I want to give to the church, but I can't because I have this debt, and my faith is now m more in the debt than it is that God's going to provide if I, if I give. Now, I'm not trying to beat you up at all. Please don't, don't hear me. I'm saying, take a second and honestly evaluate, am I living by faith or by sight? Am I living by what I sense and my fear, or am I living by how God wants me to live by, by faith. James says, look, faith, if it's not combined with action, there's some disconnect here. Faith, all, and really, this is what James is saying, faith always results in some sort of act, some change, some direction that we go another way. This past week, I was visiting with, a, I, I, Livia and I had gone, She's looking at Mercer University, and at Mercer, there's a, 
uh, the dean of the music school, used to be a professor of mine at seminary, and he's not that much older than I am, about 10 years older than I am, and we were pretty close while I was at seminary, so we were visiting together, and the, the last time, I, honestly, I saw him was about 26 years ago. I, I know, I'm getting really old, and he's even a little older, but 26 years ago, I saw him, and uh, I was asking, I'd gone, um, let me just slow down to tell the story. Uh, while I was at Vestavia Hills Baptist, we were doing a piece called uh, The Rudder Gloria. It's by John Rudder. It's a Gloria, and um, it, 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 it's a hard piece to conduct. Um, I'm telling you more than you really need to know, but it's, um, it's got these sections where it's, uh, the rhythm of it goes from 5-4 to 4-4 to 3-4, back to 5-4. So conducting it is a challenge, and I was doing it with brass and with, I know some of you are like, wait, wait, he used to do that kind of stuff? Well, on occasion. It was with the brass we had paid for from the Birmingham Symphony, and the choir was singing. It was, it was incredible honestly. We did it with the Vivaldi Gloria, for those of you who know anything about music. So we did two Glorias. Anyway, so I'd gone out to see him in Fort Worth, and um, uh, he was helping me. He was tutoring me on how to conduct this, because he was my conducting professor while I was there. Last time I'd seen him, I was doing the Rudder Gloria and the Vivaldi Gloria and getting tutored. Now I pastor a church. And he was like, hey, how did you go from there to there? And there wasn't any condemnation in it. He was just saying, what's your story? What, how did you end up here? It was a great kind. We stayed up to like 1230, talking, telling stories. Uh, just, And one of the things I realized as I was telling my story was, what a stupid thing to do, uh, what we did. I mean, <laughs> I was trying to think, there's no way to justify, there's no way in, in, with your head. You can say, yeah, 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 I got my doctorate in music and I was doing this. And then we decided to start a church. I mean, it's nuts. Um, but there was something about that period where I had the faith with God's help, with the people he had placed in our lives, that he would take care of it. He was going to provide. And it's only when your faith factor, again, goes above your fear factor that you'll really begin to, to launch out. So lack of action can be a lack of faith. And I, I know I have five points here, so I'm going to press on quicker. Second point is this. Actions, however, are not a substitute for faith. Actions aren't a substitute for faith. James says, someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that. Really, he's saying on the other side of the coin is this. There are people who are trying to do actions without faith in order to get God's approval. And actions are not a substitute for faith. All of us, Isaiah says, have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts, what we think are right, are like filthy rags. Paul quotes this in the book of Romans and goes on to say the righteousness, this righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There are people who have taken the teachings of Jesus and felt like, you know what, this is a good way to live life. This is a better path 
just to follow the teachings of Jesus. You know, Gandhi loved the Sermon on the Mount and followed the Sermon on the Mount, but he had no faith or belief in Jesus. Now, what, what does that say? Don't, don't confuse a right act with righteousness. You can do a right act, but it not leads you to righteousness. Faith leads you to righteousness, and that's a gift of God by grace, but that in turn will then lead to action. Some people will say, here it is or there it is, but the kingdom of God is where? Within you. It's not external, though it, as we're going to see, it reflects in the external, but it really is planted in your heart. It's internal. And again, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. <clears throat> Quick reminder. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, I pray that your entire spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless till the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you get saved, God saves you all the way through. Spirit, soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and you, your body. He starts to work his kingdom stuff through you. But where does the kingdom of God really come into play? It really comes into play in the spirit man of your life, where the Holy Spirit comes and indwells you and fills you and empowers you. And then it, his presence in your life changes the way you think and feel and your determining factor, your soul, and changes the way you then act. This physical container that you have, that you... Respondent. Now, where, where does the world say righteousness is? It says it's all here. It's what you do. The world works from the outside in saying, hey, I'm going to do a right act that's then going to change the way I feel or think or am so that my spirit, it'll change really who I am internally. Religion is this. Do this, meditate. Do good deeds. Do something. Do this stuff, and it'll change the way you think, and it'll change the way you feel, and then it's going to change the inner essence of you. Christianity says, no, it, by relationship, I'm placing my spirit within you. My spirit will empower you then to change. Do you understand the difference? But it leads to action. It leads to a different place. I'm not sure I'm saying this very well. I hope we're getting a hold of this. And so the first two points, again, are really, really important. A lack of action, if you're not doing stuff, can indicate a lack of faith because faith without works is dead. However, doing good is not necessarily going to lead you to faith. Faith is first, but it changes the way you then act. Leading to the third point, faith in action demonstrates the love of Jesus. Faith in action demonstrates the love of Jesus. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? <coughs> Excuse me. 
What, what is it that demonstrates the love of Jesus to people? You saying you love them all the time? Oh, I love you. You're special. You're great. You're this. You're that. No, no. What demonstrates the love of Jesus to people is giving a cup of water in the name of Jesus. There is an action that demonstrates the love of Christ. The church, we are filled with talking about love, teaching about love, thinking about love, singing about love. But what is it that shows that we actually really love? It's about what we do. In his book, Letters to My Children, Daniel Taylor uh, describes an experience he had in the sixth grade. Now, I, I, I can relate to Daniel Taylor because we used to do this when I was sixth grade. We used to have these dances where all the boys would line up one side and all the girls would line up on the other side. I don't know. I pray to Jesus they don't do this anymore. Um, but... The boys would line up on one side, the girls would line up on the other, and then a boy would then choose a girl to dance with. Could it be square dancing or, you know, it was just, you know, some sort of kind of dancing. Anyway, there was this girl in his class named Mary who always was chosen last. Mary uh, had a birth defect where evidently one leg was a little shorter than the other and one of her arms didn't work properly, and she was overweight and not pretty. And um, one of his teachers came up to him and said, Daniel, um, I would like for you to choose Mary when it comes time. And he was like, oh, really? You know, in sixth grade, you're just totally concerned with what others think about you. You're totally self-centered. Uh, if you're in sixth grade, I apologize for labeling you like this, but it's true. Um, you know, it, it is the fear of being outed as something or even looked at. Anyway, God convinces Daniel to pick Mary. And so Daniel is standing there and he's saying, please, please let me go last. Because he feels if he goes last, then Mary's going to be there, and then he won't have to be. Of course, he goes first. And here's, here's what he writes. The faces of the girls were turned toward me, some smiling. I looked at Mary and saw that she was only half turned to the back of the room. She knew no one would pick her first. Mr. Jenkins said, okay, Dan, choose your partner. I remember feeling very, very, very far away, and I heard my own voice say, I choose Mary. Never has reluctant virtue been so rewarded. I still see her face undimmed in my memory. She lifted her head, and on her face, Reddened with pleasure and surprise and embarrassment all at once was the most genuine look of delight and even pride that I had ever seen before or since. It was so pure that I had to look away because I knew I didn't deserve it. Mary came and took my arm 
as we had been instructed, and she walked beside me, bad leg and all, just like a princess. Mary is my age now. I never saw her after that year. I don't know what her life's been like or what she's doing, but I'd like to think she has a fond memory of at least one day in sixth grade because I know I do. You see, there's something about giving away the love of Christ that changes actually us. It changes our heart. When faith is enacted, we think, oh, I'm doing God such a favor. But really what happens is there's this, just as Mary was chosen, you were chosen. By the grace of God, not because you're so wonderful, though you may think so, and I think so. Honestly, we were chosen because God just loves us. And when we demonstrate that love to the world, it hammers home to us the unbelievable grace of God. Faith in action, it demonstrates the love of Jesus, and it changes me. Those tough passages, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Fourth point, actions will sometimes will result in what? Failure. Failure. You will fail. There's no guarantee that when you do stuff, it's going to all work wonderfully. Sometimes it doesn't work so great. Sometimes you actually fail. Let me read the passage and then I'll comment real quick. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? Again, I'm not going to have time. I could preach an entire sermon on just these verses on the idea of the combination of righteousness and faith and works. But he... I'm going to go on. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. Now, if, you, if this was me or you, and God has said, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation, and then I'm 100 years old, and I finally have a son. I, I don't have any children yet. Now I have a son and I'm 100 years old. That, and that's an unbelievable miracle. Now God comes back to me when the boy's in his teens. And now I'm even older. I'm 115 myself. And says, take the boy, take him up on the altar and sacrifice him to me. Wow. This, this looks like a failure. Right? This looks like a failure. If I do this... I got no one in the wings. I got no place. Isn't it funny that Abraham is called the father of the faith? I mean, if you look at the life of Abraham, yeah, 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 he had faith to leave the country, but he got into some situations and he abandoned faith for other things. He lied at least twice about Sarah being his wife. Uh, She's my sister. Well, she sort of was, but that wasn't the point. He was trying to get away. He was trying to protect himself. He had sex with his wife's servant in order to help God out to get a child. 
when God said that wasn't the way to go. I mean, he, he failed a number of times, and yet he still called the father of faith. Why? Because when he comes through it, by the grace of God, he still had faith to do what God had called him to do. His faith was so strong that he believed, according to Hebrews, that if he killed Isaac on the altar, God was going to raise him from the dead. Because he, he believed, hey, God, really, this son came from the dead thing, which is me. I'm not going into details here, but his wife was 90. He's 100. Ain't no hope for having chillins at this age. But they did. They did because God made something dead alive. And he was convinced it could happen again. Listen, fear will keep you from enacting faith, as I've said this morning. Our faith factor has to rise above our fear factor. There's this uh, Peanuts cartoon, which I love. I don't know if you can read it very well, so I'll read it to you. And, you know, this is that where Lucy's the five-cent psychologist and Charlie Brown is there, and she's telling him, life is like a cruise, Charlie Brown. And life is like a deck chair. On the cruise ship of life, some people place their deck chair at the rear of the ship so they can see where they've been. Others place their deck chair at the front of the ship so they can see where they're going. She looks at Charlie Brown and says to him, which way is your deck chair facing? Which is, by the way, I think a great question. But here's his response. I can't even get my deck chair unfolded. <laughs> That's how some of us fear. I, I, I'm standing there with my chair, but I... Arthur Gordon, in his book, A Touch of Wonder, says this. One of the most insidious maladies of time... Isn't it great that we can go from peanuts to the words insidious maladies of time just like that? <laughs> One of the most insidious maladies of time is the tendency in most of us to observe rather than act, avoid rather than participate, not do rather than do. The tendency to give in to the sly, negative, cautionary voices that constantly counsel us to be careful, to be controlled, to be wary and prudent and hesitant and guarded in our approach of this complicated thing called living. In short, we don't do because we are afraid. We're afraid of failure. And faith is calling us out of the fear to act, to do. What are we afraid of? We're afraid of everything. We're afraid of we're afraid of what we appear in front of other people. We're afraid of appearing at all in front of other people. We're afraid of lawsuits. We're afraid of violence. We're afraid of not having enough money when we retire. We're afraid of what causes us not to act. Most of the time, it's some sort of fear. And God is saying, step out. Step out in faith. Last point, actions don't have to be large to make a difference. Listen, <clears throat> I know Nate and Shirler moving to Ethiopia. They're going to Africa. For most of us, we think, oh, my Lord, if I say yes to God, I'm going with them. <laughs> you know, next thing I know, I'm going to be living in their guest house in the back, uh, you know, doing something in Africa. Listen, you, 
that is a, a, an obvious response of faith to the God, call of God on their lives. But faith for you might be just going and knocking on your neighbor's door and saying, what can I do to help? Faith may be when you see someone today at a restaurant just blessing them. Faith may be praying for your staff and elders. Faith may be saying, how can I bless? How can I give? What can I do? Faith doesn't have to, these actions, I'm not talking you, uh, to you about this step out in the measure of faith that God has given you now. Step out in small acts. And I believe small acts of faith done in love will make a world of difference. Small acts. He gives this example, and it seems like a big act, but really it wasn't quite as big. It says, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute? And I love the fact that every time her name is mentioned, Rahab the, the prostitute. That's how she's called in the Bible. She's considered righteous. Now we, first of all, I, I'm going to preach on this just for one minute. We don't think the words prostitute and righteous can even go together. But God does. God says, I can redeem anything and anyone from where they've been. She was considered righteous for what she did, and that's good preaching too. I mean, really, because some of us are so beat up, we think God cannot redeem me or my situation, and it's not true. For what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Rahab, as you remember the story, <clears throat> she had a couple of spies, hit them in her house, climbed out of the wall. All she, she protected them. Now, she could have been killed. They were looking for the spies. They were trying to capture them. I mean, it was a bigger act than I'm, I'm making it up. But in the overall scope of things, it wasn't everything. But it was everything. Because her small act of protecting the spies allowed her to be the only, her and her family, or really her, to be the only living person to come out of Jericho. She was the only one who survived the city. And, and then you think, well, what hope does this prostitute have of ever making a life among a foreign people now that all her people are dead? Well, one of the Israelite guys falls in love with her and marries her. She marries an Israelite by the name of Salmon. They have a son named, very familiar, Boaz. Boaz does a faithful act by leaving some extra grain for another foreign woman named Ruth. They have a son by the name of Obed. Obed has a son by the name of Jesse. Jesse has a bunch of sons. The youngest one is a harp-playing shepherd who would be king by the name of David. See, small acts of faith, small acts of faith make a world of difference because David, through the line of David, the Messiah comes. I mean, it's everything, our acts of faith. And we don't know where they're going to lead or what generational change can happen by our act of giving. But it, it is thwarted because of our overwhelming fear, then also the fruit of what could be never occurs. 
Jesus looks up and he sees a rich man putting their gift in the temple treasury. And he also sees a poor widow putting her two very small copper coins. And he says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty and put in all she had to live on. Why can he say that? Well, it's obvious the rich guy's given more. He's making a bigger difference. But Jesus is saying, I believe, I believe he's saying that when you act out of faith, there's something fruitful that comes from it. There's the fruit of faith that is born, not the fruit of, oh, this is just the extra, and I can give away the extra. God is calling us, I believe, to give away our actions. And, and really, I'm saying all of this today to say this. It begins with the gift of God, which is faith. It's a gift of grace. You're not getting anywhere without this gift of grace that comes and we call faith. But that faith changes our lives so that we now act according to the gift of grace that he's given us. My question is today, how, how are we doing on living our lives? Are we living lives of faith? Are we living lives of fear? Are we living lives of failure? Are we living lives based on the horrible things of our... Are we living in faith? And if we're living in faith, then we're stepping out and doing small acts that will make a difference to the world around us to see the kingdom of God expand. I want to encourage you today. Give a cup of water. Give something in the name of Jesus. Bless someone in the name of Jesus. Give away your life to make a difference. Lord, we thank you for all you've done in our lives. And I pray that we would indeed be a giving people. God, that you would Lord, we declare today, we are not slaves to fear. We are not slaves to failure. We are not slaves to our own even sin that, that encompasses us, such as pride or selfishness or anything. Lord, today, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus by faith. And we, I pray that today, that that faith will result in what it's supposed to result in, which is not only my righteousness, but acts of faith done that will make a difference in the world around us. Lord, we, we acknowledge that. Change our hearts, O oh Lord. Change. Change us, Lord. Let us break out of fear and act according to faith. Hey, as we close this morning, stand up with me. Can we sing that chorus, I'm no longer a slave to fear, Mitch? Let's just declare that over ourselves today as it, as it entails our faith. Just declare it, sing it, and then let's act on it as we, as we leave this place today.